and welcome to Smart Businesses Do This, where we're going to talk about the things that smart businesses should do and do do. That's right, I said do do. I'm your host, Adam Lyons, and today I'm joined by a very good friend of mine and a whiz when it comes to business and business investing, Justin Donald. You are listening to Smart Businesses Do This, the podcast show for freelancers, side hustlers, and upcoming small business owners who want to transform their current business or business idea into a company that is built to succeed, simple to run, and gives you the freedom to live your life on your own terms. I'm your host, Adam Lyons. Let's get started. Justin Donald, how are you? I'm great. I'm so happy to be here, and it's fun living in the same city. I didn't uh, realize how easy it is to get to your place from my place. Isn't it so simple? It's just a straight 30-minute shot. It's great. Yeah, and what I love about like our little town, I feel like every episode, by the way, we sort of talk about how amazing Bastrop is, and I think we've like increased the, the volume of the town significantly. Ryan Holiday lives here. Okay. Already his bookstore is like right next door. By the way, I drove through, and I'm like seeing all these opportunities. I've got to imagine the real estate is incredibly cheap, relatively speaking, to a lot of other places. And, and I just, I mean... Driving through and in five minutes of downtown, I'm like, I see this. I want that. I think we should do this. Okay. So I'm so happy you said this because honestly, I'm going to be real with you. This isn't for you. This is for me. Uh, you know, I've, I brought Justin here just for me just because I wanted to hang out and chat to him. And uh, I'm so happy you said that. See, because I've got this plot of four acres that's just empty sitting next door to my house. And the reason that we brought Justin Donald here is because he is the king. And I'm not kidding. The king of spotting real estate niches that you are, are missing out on opportunities that you do not need millions and millions of dollars to do anything with and that can actually generate passive revenue. Is that correct, Justin? Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of, of that to go around. I mean, I, I love finding, I mean, my biggest thing is finding invisible deals, right? What, what exists that no one else ex knows exists or what is off market that you're not going to be bid up with competition or what is not even for sale yet that you can make a good offer where people want to buy it. Um, and then in addition to that, what are the trends that are now happening that, uh, or, or are soon to happen that most people haven't figured out yet? So it's, you know, if you can be on that cutting edge and be a little bit ahead of the general public, that's where you have the edge. I love it. So, so give, give us an example. What is like an example of something that somebody should be doing that they're not doing or could be done? Well, I mean, maybe the easiest way to look at it is we're, we're about to have the largest wealth transfer in the history of the world with baby boomers to millennials. Um, the experts have a range of anywhere from about $75 trillion to $105 trillion that's going to happen over the next 10, 15, 20 years. So what is it that millennials like to do? How do they spend their money? How do they shop? What, you know, what are their leisure activities? Uh, how do they like to work? Like these preferences, I think are going to be hugely strong. I mean, if you think about like the, the, the total wealth of China, the second, uh, wealthiest country in the world is $75 trillion. So like a wealth transfer equivalent to the second largest country in the world is about to happen. And we know who it's going from, who it's going to, uh, we can identify these, these spending habits over here, but we can also identify these businesses and real estate and all these companies that likely are going to fold or sell for really cheap because the founders don't even know what the value is. Like I, I see these operating companies all the time where they're going to shut it down because their kids don't want it yep. and they don't think it's worth anything because they're the operator, but they've got relationships, they've got contracts, they've got all kinds of stuff. And so you can get it at a good valuation. They thought they were going to sell it for nothing. You could buy it for 
a little more than that, but reasonable. And I think at this point, it's worth mentioning, you know, I, I've been doing mergers and acquisitions for the last three and a half years. I've done over 2,000 deals or consulted on over 2,000 deals myself. And um, the success rate of handing a business to your child is 2%. Mm. There is a 98% failure rate if you give your business to your child that your child is going to fail, which means if the child wants the best chance of getting the most amount of money from receiving a business from their parents, um, they should sell it. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, part of that is because the children aren't growing up in the business, so they don't know it. And then the ones that are don't want to be in it, right? right? So it just creates this interesting market where these baby boomers likely should sell. They may not know that they should sell. They may not even have their estate planned and ready. So if they pass early, uh, these assets you know, may not go to where they're wanting them to go. I mean, there's, there's ample opportunity. And to do what you do, right? Like th <laughs> this is you know, the perfect tee up for you buying with no money down for a business that um, you know, has value. It, it, it's so huge. And again, like, uh, just in case you, to give you the cliff notes, in case you haven't seen this to, to recognize it, the value of a business is going to be based on its assets, but also how much money it's made as profit over the last 12 months. So if you imagine that the founder of a company passed away a year ago, and since then, the kid has inherited this business, they don't have the relationships, they don't have the connections. Actually, some of the connections could be with people who have also passed away to children who have no connection. So the revenue of the business is very likely to have tanked, which means that valuation is very low now comparatively and getting worse every year. Right. The sooner you buy it, the better it is for them and the better it is for you. And now you've got this amazing opportunity. You're right. This is just sitting in front of everybody right now. Yeah. And it's prime for disruption. And most people don't even know it's there. Yeah. So it, it's it's in front of everyone. Most people don't recognize this future trend. Yeah. And, and just so we, we are clear, these businesses, you think about like local dry cleaners, like, you know, that have been handed down generation, generation, generation. Um, but now you've got these kids that the idea of working in a dry cleaner isn't cool. They want to travel. They want to be nomadic. They don't want to be in that business. You've got these local mechanics yards, like all these kind of businesses, the plumbing companies that have money, they've got good revenue, but when the owner passes, isn't going to be worth anything unless somebody comes in, scoops them up and does something with it. Yeah, 100%. And, and think about like anything in home services. Yep. Like these are, these have huge multiples. These are, uh, I mean, these are selling for much greater than a typical service-based industry. Uh, their demand went through the roof during COVID, so tough times. Still, it, it was a strong, uh, you know, business and and you know niches, and a lot of these profit margins are incredible. Um, and and you also think about like the whole, I guess, um, movement of onsourcing, uh, manufacturing here in the United States. So like we've got someone in the Lifestyle Investor Mastermind that. Um, his business is a manufacturing business and he knows these inside and out. They're mom and pop shops. And, uh, you know, he has one business that he sold, did very well on that, uh, has a new business that is the software. It's a sticky glue that helps all these mom and pops. Uh, and, and it's just incredible. But this is the type of business that's unsexy. Uh, most people don't understand it. They don't want to be part of it. But uh, like this is super high valuation type of business. And most people don't even know that manufacturing is going to be more in vogue than ever in the coming years. Absolutely. Especially when we saw that uh, foreign manufacturing, when there's issues with transportation, is in a decline. So local manufacturing does have a lot of value as an alternative. 
Um, something I'd love to go into, you know, you mentioned driving through Bastrop and seeing these uh, real estate opportunities. What exactly were you seeing? What could, you know, somebody who maybe is leaning more towards that kind of thing, what could be there? Well, simply just like aesthetically cleaning some buildings up, right? Like we can take some historic buildings, make them look really nice. You can repurpose the building and the use on the inside can be different than maybe, you know, this used to be the old city hall or this used to be the old library and we can actually like make it cool. But, uh, you know, I would imagine as the population grows, an event center is going to be necessary and important, uh, maybe more like modern state of the art. And I don't know what all is For here, sure, what, yeah. what goes on here. Um, but you, you think about any of the, the major infrastructure of like a booming city and what's missing here. So it's just kind of like, let, let's look, let's take a look at the city of Austin. Uh, what does Austin have that isn't here? And maybe it's some hotels and, and maybe it's something like, you know, you, you've got some cool vibey. Uh, restaurants or boutique-ish hotels or, um, you know, and, and not that those are great business models in general, sure. but uh, to do something with the facades, I think could be powerful. I, I, I love this. So, um, you know, we're living in that, that building right now, this building that we're in. Uh, this was a, um, a communal office space for a, a, a company. And um, during COVID, they left their offices. So the building was empty. Uh, we picked it up for half a million bucks. Um, downstairs is our Dungeons and Dragons shop, which we put in there, which ended up funding the entire thing. And we turned upstairs into a podcast studio. Uh, the property is now um, over doubled, uh, moving towards tripled in value since we bought it three years ago, uh, which is a huge improvement. We've been collecting properties in the area and buying them up. So I agree 100%. Uh, the biggest in uh, influx, of course, was Tesla being yes. down the road, which all the employees came here. We jumped from 20,000 people to 100,000 people wow. in the area over the last like 10 years or so. And so when you have that type of a boom in population, that's where the magic can happen. Like what, what are the amenities that they want that they're used to from where they were, you know, out in California Panera. that don't exist here. <laughs> and there are a lot of them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's great. You know, we used to have only one Starbucks in the area. Um, there's only one in Bastrop, but we have two in the uh, in the neighboring towns either side. So, you know, it's starting to pick up. Uh, we don't have a Target yet. You know, just in case you're listening, Target, we could do with one. Uh, <laughs> but the point is, it is a growing town. Um, something that, you know, I've, I've heard you mention before is undeveloped land. There's a lot of stuff. You know, and and I'm, I, you know, I'm being selfish because I do have this four acre plot and I don't know what I'm going to do with it, Justin. It's fully paid off. It's next door to my house and I'm doing nothing with it. What should I be doing? Gosh, there's probably a ton. Um, I don't know what the right answer is based on uh, you know, how much you want to invest into it. Uh, you I'm could... totally open to brainstorming. Okay. So it's, it's on a highway. Uh, it's on 290. So it's on like the main highway to Houston. It's got like highway access and it's a uh, free zone. It can be commercial, agricultural, awesome. residential. It can be Which, anything I want. Yeah. For those that don't know, makes the land more valuable, right? You, you have more optionality in what you can do, whether you're keeping it, whether you're selling it. Um, so, you know, one thing is just do a land lease. You know, I don't know what type of, you know, crops you can grow there or or it, other uses that other people might have, but a land lease could be a real lucrative play for you. Yeah, it's just sitting empty right now. Yeah. Sorry, so someone probably empty. wants it, even if it's just like outdoor industrial storage, you don't do anything. And by the way, I think that's gonna be a big opportunity in the future. I think this is gonna be a trend that we're gonna see more of with more manufacturing, more onsourcing, uh, being off these major highways in between cities where people need to store trucks and trailers and you name it, right? So it That's could just cool. be that that, cool that doesn't cost anything or yeah. very little. I mean, you got to get some infrastructure, some security, but it's it's low cost compared to like a development, right? Cool. Uh, so of course there's self-storage. Of course there's multifamily. Um, I, I would stay away from retail, but you could do a retail bottom in 
uh, some sort of multifamily. But the, once you do that, this is huge cost. You've got to find the experts that are able to do it, and it creates a lot more risk. So to me, if I'm looking for the lowest cost, least risk play, it's a land lease play, and you can take back the land whenever you want. You know, give proper notice, but. Uh, you may just want to hang on to the land as like a, an exit plan down the road and just get some cash flow today. So to me, that's probably how I would look at it. I, I love that. So, and this is it's great to brainstorm this stuff with you. So something that I, I've noticed recently, especially in our area, is people will drop not tiny homes, but they kind of, they're bigger than tiny homes. I don't know what you'd call them, small homes, if that's a thing. Um, and they'll put like four or five of them on a small four acre plot and then just rent those out. Is that a good play or is that it can be. I mean, we're in this world of modular homes kind of taking over. And, and you know, I don't know if the tiny home is going to stick. Yeah. Some people like it. Those that have actually lived in them, I think long term don't really like <laughs> them, you know. Uh, so tiny home, that, that's that's a tough play, but it could work. Yeah. Uh, what I like is is modular or manufactured housing. Mm -hmm. And uh, one thing, if it's unzoned, you could turn that into a mobile home park, an RV park. Uh, both of which could be pretty lucrative uh, if you have the population coming here or you're a lot cheaper than, you know, neighboring Austin where people will drive 30 minutes, no problem, yeah. right? Um, but I would also say, you know, you could create kind of like a cool uh, event center or, you know, a place where people, you know, kind of do that, their, their bridal events uh, mm -hmm. with some nicer homes, some cooler homes, but they could all be modular, could all be manufactured type of, of housing, um, so that's another option. I, I love that. It's actually, yeah, we, it's funny you say it because we were torn between event space or, uh, or some kind of multifamily. So that's, that's really, really cool to brainstorm that. So you, this is, this is what I love about talking to Justin Donald. It's like, you don't have to make the plan as big as you think you do in order to get a return. Um, and, you know, and obviously, uh, you know, we met because one of the things I like doing is purchasing uh, businesses and properties with zero money down. That doesn't mean I'm not going to pay anything for them. It just means that I don't need to come out of pocket in order to do the deal. And uh, one of my favorite things about that is, of course, you have a blank checkbook. If you don't need any money to get the deal going, you can cash flow the deal from within itself, which is probably one of the best ways of doing it. Um, what, what kind of deals would you typically do nowadays? Like, what do you enjoy doing? Well, to get to your point, it's uh, most people want a certain dollar amount. So if you control the terms and they work for you, then you can make it work. So that's kind of the whole thing. Like, you want this? Okay, I want to help you get this. Mm -hmm. This is how I need to structure it, but we can get you what you want, right? So I love that. Um, you know, I I'm open to anything right now. I mean, I've, I've had some fun kind of dabbling in uh, various different niches, various different industries over the years. Uh, I would say, you know, I, I mentioned a little bit of the, the outdoor industrial storage. That is one of my most recent investments. Um, but I've also been investing in uh, you know, music royalties and original content, uh, even though it's kind of been weird with the writer's strike and all that. Yeah. Um, but I also like, you know, the, the wild, wild west type of stuff where, you know, technology or cannabis and e-commerce where, I mean, we've got a little bit more defined rules around some of them, but not around others of them. And, yep. and the scale, the opportunity there is incredible. Uh, I still like mom and pop businesses. I still like mobile home parks. They just closed on one last week. Awesome. Um, you know, so, you know, from the standpoint of, uh, what can I get that is seller financed that opens up the playbook to a lot, but it closes the playbook to a lot. Right. So, but I do like that in a high interest rate environment, getting seller finance at below the going rate, yeah. uh, give them what they want, get the terms that you want. You know, you're a no money down kind of guy. Uh, 
I'm okay doing a no money down deal, but I don't, but that doesn't have to be the case. Like to get a deal done and someone needs a down payment, I'm totally comfortable doing that as long as it can be structured the right way. Yeah. Uh, and often with, you know, a hard asset, uh, they, they want that, yeah, you know, course, and that's, awesome. and that's warranted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I do. I, I love that. I just love where you come from. And for anyone missing that opportunity, right? Anytime there is a high interest rate scenario, like we're in right now, a private finance deal from the person selling you the company or the asset where they're willing to take a, an APR that's lower than the standard rate, because of course to them, it doesn't matter, is going to be an absolute win for you. And most of the time, it's just having the discussion. It's crazy right. how many people won't talk to the person selling the asset and be like, hey, would you be down to finance this for me? Yeah. And it's it's not a, a scary conversation. I think people think that that's abnormal. And maybe when interest rates were so low, it was harder to, I mean, it was, you wouldn't want to do it. No, no seller is going to, you know, seller finance at 2% probably, or very few are probably going to do that, right? You know, with interest rates where they are, why not take a swing? I mean, right. if they say no, they say no. But I mean, every, every time I possibly can, I'll say, hey, uh, in order to get this deal done and get you the terms that you want, like to get you everything, the price, all that you want, um, what I'd like to see is if we can set up some sort of an arrangement where uh, you carry the note, you make interest on that note. So it's a win for you. Um, but then it helps me be able to allocate properly for capital expenditures and, and so forth. Yeah, it, it's funny. Um, I'm in the middle of a, a real estate deal right now, actually, uh, with my wife, uh, a local property. And um, it's kind of uh, it's kind of something we may not be going ahead with, but it's actually because of that concept. The person selling it to us wants the price and the terms they want. Mm. And it's like, dude, like if like they're basically trying to uh, sell it for the highest possible value of any property in the area. Uh, per square foot. Mm. And, you know, I've been trying to explain to them, look, if you will sell or finance the whole thing, I'll buy it at whatever you want. Like if if you really want like, you know, what would essentially be 200 grand above what it's worth, we'll pay it. But I need zero deposit and I need it over this much time. On the other hand, if you want us to have 30% skin in the game, which is what they're going for, I'm like, that's fine too. But now that price has to drop down right. significantly to at market or ideally just below market because we're in a declining market and that's where it needs to be. And, and it is hard having these discussions with people where you're sort of like, look, you're only going to win one of these two wars. Right. I, I don't mind which one. And the worst one nine times out of 10 is the compromise where you're going to pay 15% you know, down and then pay you know, 100 grand above price. It's like, no, that's terrible for me. Like, I either yeah. want no money down and I'll pay well above or the other way around. Which, by the way, is great because you're given a two option close. And I yep. think a two option close always trumps a one option close because yep. you're giving them optionality. They get to pick. They're in control. Um, but we're in a buyer's market. I mean, there, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. So for any seller, and this the problem is a lot of sellers are uneducated. They're ignorant to the fact that everything has changed. Interest rates changing, has changed cap rates, has changed everything. Uh, it's harder to get lending. Banks don't even want to lend on yeah. stuff that they just did, you know, six months ago. So yeah, it's it's very much a buyer's market, and and there needs to be like an education campaign for those that just have no clue that the market has changed. You, what you got last year doesn't exist this year. Correct. And and by the way, it may not exist for like ten more years. Right. What last year was. Yeah. And and this is actually just as uh, valid because the banks obviously still want to lend money but they're not lending it for property. But you know what they are lending it for? Businesses. We applied for a business loan, an SBA loan, and we had 
50 matches. Wow. 50 people coming and saying, hey, here you go. Here's that full amount of money you want in various terms. Because right now, the government are supporting the SBA. And I, if, I'm, if memory serves, they're guaranteeing 95% of the, of the risk. So it's huge right now for anybody. And they're willing to do 100%, whereas in the past, you couldn't do that. Yeah. So this is a great opportunity for people. And again, how long is this going to last? Don't know. But it's been this way for the last couple of months and it's going to be. So, you know, it's not like the money dries up. It just goes, like you said, it goes, it's a wealth transfer. The money That's goes right. in a different direction. So this is a great opportunity for somebody to go out, find a business that you want, buy that business. And even if you do use financing, using uh, the SBA to fund it instead. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. SBA is a great option. Uh, just recognize for anyone that's never used it. It takes longer. There's a little more hair on it. There's more due diligence that the bank's going to do. Uh, it is nice having the government backstop it. So it's basically a government subsidy, right? Just just like, you know, when you're getting a mortgage, right? Uh, you have this opportunity to, to be government backed. Um, and so that's great. But again, more strings attached to that. Uh, I love that you had 50 plus options because yeah. that I would assume that's not the case. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and a lot of the time they don't like businesses that don't have collateral most of the time. So if you have collateral, it should be easier to get it. If you don't, it's much harder to get it and, and you may not be able to do SBA. Yeah. And, and one of the things that's really cool is you can contact a business broker and you can say to them, what businesses do you have on your books right now that would be applicable for an SBA loan that, um, that somebody with very minimal experience could buy? And the brokers want to sell. So the business broker is going to say, no problem, let me show you. And I have never failed to have a business broker send me minimum 20 to 80 businesses that fit that criteria. And, and that's great. And by the way, using a broker for that space is the only way to go, in yeah. my opinion, I, right? I, I, I mean, that saves time. Like it's, it's such a resource. Uh, so we use a guy that does more SBA loans than the largest banks do together cumulatively Crazy. like Crazy. their business is just that which is kind of mind-boggling because i just figured the banks were the biggest in that space but they're not yeah uh, well and and it's crazy because what i love about this is like you know if you get one and, and even if you've never bought a business before or if you have a business and this is like huge let's just say that today you have a small e-com store and you want to make it bigger i would contact your local broker um at, you know or the biggest broker you can find in town and see if they have any e-com stores for sale because chances are you can buy an, another e-com store and borrow all the processes from that business and plug them into yours. Like if I had a small e-com store and I was doing a hundred grand a year, I would attempt to buy something that was doing half a million a year just so that I could now have a bigger business, five times bigger, and steal all the software, all the, the elements and systems and plug them into mine. And that would be so much faster and easier to do. And it probably cash flows. Yeah. And and it's generally, you're, you're de-risking your play by doing it. A lot of people think, oh, it's more risky. You're buying another business. But if you understand that industry, you're buying your success. You're not, you're, you're eliminating all the risk of a startup, Yep. right? So you're going with something that's already working, already profitable. And by the way, this is what the strategics do. When you, when you hear companies that buy up these smaller companies for just crazy dollars and you're like, what on earth are you doing? How can you get a valuation? How can you pay that much money? Um, and it's it's simply that the the integration of that company into the bigger company doesn't even have to make them money because if it creates more efficiency than the general whole does, right? They make way more than that one business would ever make. Yeah, absolutely. In 
um, you know, I've, I've been a dating coach for 18 years. And, um, you know, my initial business experience, most of it was in the dating industry. And what I would do is I would wait until another dating coach was about to shut down their business. And I'd be like, hey, what are you doing with your, your business? And they're like, oh, I'm just going to shut it down. I don't really know. And I'm like, can I give you uh, normally four figures and I'll take it off your hands. And, uh, you know, I've bought 150,000 leads plus the products and everything for five grand. And that's another example of people who are just going to shut it down because they yep. don't think it has value. They don't think someone will pay for it since they, in their mind, were the business. And in many regards, they were the business. But uh, and so, yeah, them stepping out might cripple that business. But if you have the infrastructure in place to either A, just get value out of the leads or B, uh, the integration, C, the software, uh, D, the collaboration. It's pretty powerful. Yeah, I've got uh, one deal I actually had. Um, I, I'm kicking myself on it. I was um, kicking the paperwork along. So I got somebody agreed to sell me 50% of their company. They had 10,000 buyers on their mailing list. And um, I could buy the whole thing for no money. All I had to do was do the maintenance. So I just had to service the customers. We already have all the systems for it. And uh, it was for a really good friend of mine. Uh, he lived in California and I kicked on the paperwork. I was so busy. It was like, I don't really want to take on these extra 10,000 customers yet. You know, like I'll do it later. I'll do it later. I'll do it later. And he passed away. Oh. And I, I'm, I mean, A, I'm devastated. I, I lost my friend. Um, but that opportunity obviously is gone, gone. And, you know, I'm kicking myself for it for a while because, you know, it was a sizable business that I could have just had um, and then, you know, could have kept kept his legacy alive. And so I'm putting myself on, on two fronts, one, uh, you know, losing my friend and the other one, I, I can't even keep his legacy going, which sucks. Yeah, that, but that's tough. I mean, it, it, it really kind of like highlights the whole idea of just take action the moment that you know, and by the way, I'm guilty of this. I've missed some deals. By the way, I've missed some deals simply because I, I thought I was going to do it. Everything was done. And I didn't get, you know, a DocuSign, right? Something didn't come through and I missed it and it went to spam. It went to whatever. So I've got a few that I have missed for pure, you know, negligence on my part or just randomness of, of email selection of where things go. And one of them was very uh, <laughs> big. I mean, it was it, it was devastating missed opportunity. Yeah, it, it's it is tough. Something um, that I'd love to, you know, to give to everybody listening today. Um, let's just say somebody here. They've kind of got a business, it's kind of struggling, but it's doing okay. And they really want to, you know, do something to fix it. What would you say in terms of, you know, with this subject of being able to buy a business, how can they go about it? Like what, what action steps could they take? Well, I personally think the first place to go is to feed yourself, to, to educate yourself, to surround yourself with people that uh, have more business sense, more knowledge, have, you know, strategic expertise. So to me, Number one rule is just like go go to where the smartest people in the room are. Yep. Uh, and, and today's day and age, like it used to be harder to find it. Today's day and age is join a mastermind. Find a mastermind with really smart people and the thing that you want to get great at. Get to know them. Have their insight. You know, get outside of your biases for the business and what you think can and can't work. And actually talk to someone that's done it. Uh, and and ideally many someones that have done it that might even want to partner with you in some way, shape or form. So to me, that's number one. It's like figure out who that peer group is. Number two would be potentially hire someone. Uh, and so this is, but only hire 
someone has done the thing that you want to do. Because in today's day and age, everyone is a coach, right? Everyone's qualified. Everyone's an expert. Uh, and, and they're not, yeah. but, but online they are. And so you got to find the people that have actually done the thing that they say or that you want to do that, that you can prove. You can bet out that they've done it. Uh, so this has been really strategic for me. I've joined the groups that I've needed. I've hired the coaches and consultants I've needed to hire. Uh, between those two options and, and likely both at the same time, but maybe financially pick one or the other, uh, that to me is the greatest place to start because you can collect the best ideas that actually work. I absolutely love that. I, and I think uh, this is something I actually called out about two years ago, um, which is there are so many coaches and experts nowadays that you really don't want to call yourself a coach. Um, I think the phrase expert is okay, but something I started doing, you know, I've, um, you know, I'm 42 years old now. I never got my degree or my formal education until a couple of years ago when I decided I wanted actual accreditation. So I now have an MBA in business and I'm, I'm in my doctorate program right now. The whole, be the whole goal being you have to separate yourself from everybody else. In a world where everyone else was getting their certifications, getting their degrees, getting their doctorates, being a coach or an expert that said, hey, I've done it, um, and that's more important as practical experience was great. Then when everybody is doing that, you have to go the other way. And so now I'm collecting it. You know, I, I think I should graduate in two to three years with my doctorate of business, specifically so that my separation will be, well, anyone can say they've done it. <laughs> Not only have I done it, here are, here are the actual credentials. And so you know, if you're watching this today and you are a coach or an expert, and you know, you're hearing the phrase everyone is, really be thinking about your business as how can I get some deep credentials that my competitors aren't gonna do just so that I can I can beat them. Yeah, and, and you gotta be careful also just in, in a market where everyone claims to be an expert. And by the way, here's what I see all the time. Uh, so th this is happening right now. We, are, we were doing diligence on someone and this person claims that they are an AI expert, an artificial intelligence expert. And by every stretch of the imagination, uh, I guess they are. Everything on social, online, everything, like they, they have positioned themselves well. But we went and did some background on people that knew them before. And they're like, oh, that's really interesting because just two years ago- They were a chef. Not they, right, it, it, they, they weren't even doing AI. They were you know, just kind of doing affiliates and doing this and that, and they've leveraged uh, you know, some relationships, leverage some experience. So that's one interesting situation on, you know, I think super relevant with AI. Uh, but the, the second one is we just went through the frothiest decade that any of us have ever lived through, right? For anyone our age, yep. this, the last 10 years was incredible. You could do no wrong. But now all these people are experts that really aren't experts. They made money when economic times were good, a lot of these deals are going to lose money. They're not going to make it. Uh, a lot of people invested in these new, like one, two, three year experience type of sponsors and, and, you know, general partners that they're not experts, but they position themselves that way. And they've never done anything in an interest rate environment like this. And so we're going to see a lot of fallout. We're going to see a lot of people losing money. And again, it's because people thought or people position themselves and then because of that didn't do their homework, they thought that they were experts when they really weren't. Yeah, and, and this is so huge. Like, and you are going to see more and more of this. Uh, I was actually, I was saying to Eve uh, just before we came up here, 
somebody who I, I really respect, who has spent the last few, uh, last 10 years, realistically, building a career for themselves around their art, just announced that they just took a full-time position as a fishmonger at a local grocery store. Wow. And I'm like, can you imagine, like, you know, I, I met this guy in his like mid twenties. So he's now going to be mid thirties, nearly forties. And he's just, you know, publicly announced, Hey, I just took a, a full-time job as a fishmonger and, and is giving up on his dream of art. When, when an artist who I know personally is very creative and cares about that is like, due to what's going on in the world, I'm going to give up on my dreams. That should really hit you as hard as it hit me in a few ways. Number one, it should really make you not give up on your dreams, right? Don't, don't say, okay, for the next 30 years of my life, I'm going to be a fishmonger when, when you want to be an artist, right? Number two, recognize that what's about to happen is all your competition's about to go away because all your competition is giving up their dreams right now to be, to be practical. This is not the time to give up on a dream. It's actually the time to push harder. And lastly, it's going to be harder than it was. So even though there'll be less competition, which is good, it will be harder. You will make less money. It will be harder to stand out. It will be harder to be where you want to be. Uh, but that's the time to fight because I would rather be in a competition where I'm the only person in the race, but the race is really difficult than a really easy race that has thousands of people. That's right. 100%. Yeah. I mean, eliminate the competition. Uh, but we don't just have to like base it on luck, right? If, if we know it's going to be harder, then hire the right people to support you. Or if you don't have the means to do that, find someone that's willing to take you under their wing, right? Someone that's well established, well along uh, in their career and or get in the peer group and around the people that yeah. are doing that thing and, and they can help you along. I was uh, two, of my, two of my favorite stories about this, especially like in hard times, um, uh, with, with regards to myself, uh, is one, I ended up getting voted head boy of my school and I was the most unpopular kid in school. Like no one hung out with me. No one liked me. I wasn't even allowed to play in the D and D club because I was like considered too nerdy and they were worried they'd get bullied if I was part of it. So I was allowed to like watch D and D, but I couldn't tell anyone I, I did it. Like I was really bad, um, but I really wanted to, you know, do something cool. And I had nothing else to do than hang around school. So is this D and D play downstairs? Is this a spite by? This, this is yeah. Uh, this you, seems you like to get back now. I own the... my own. Yeah, this is exactly yeah. what it is. Um, so uh, so they did the voting for who's going to be head boy, and um, it was running late, and so everyone left, but I had nothing to do, so I just sat in the room. And it gets like seven p.m. at night. School finished like three hours earlier, you know. And there's like no one there, but I've got nowhere to go and nothing to do. So I'm just sitting in the room. And then the teacher turns up who's late because whatever they had to do. And they're like, so um, are you the only one here for the live voting? And I was like, yeah. And they go, oh, who do you want to vote for? And I'm like, Myself. me. <laughs> and uh, they were like, um, well, there's no rule that says you can't. And so I got voted head boy by one. And it was oh, me. Man. And I had to That's pop with right? three hours of seeing in a room in the dark, by the way. Uh, but, but I got it. And uh, the other one, I was, I was telling my, my wife. This is like a Tim Ferriss hack. I mean, right? this is this, this, this is like yeah. original before that, before he's even doing that. I, I love that, like, um, there's so many times in my life where I've just been willing to do more work than anyone else and then have ended up getting something amazing for it. So the other one was um, there was a, a local swimming competition and uh, I got a bronze medal. And uh, if you know me, you know I'm a really bad swimmer, uh, which, which makes the question of how did you end up getting the bronze medal? And it's very simple. It was um, freestyle, long distance swimming, and no one wanted to do it. 
And so I came third out of three people. <laughs> and <laughs> I also took four times as long as number two to complete it. And there was just this whole audience of people watching me sort of like pause every so often. <laughs> and they keep going. Yeah, but I wasn't going to stop. I was going to get my bronze. And I knew I was getting a bronze medal. There's no way I was going to get gold or silver. And the other two were like racing and putting a lot of effort in at the very beginning. I was like, all right, you got this, buddy. You know, they've left already. And I'm like, just like pace yourself. Uh, and you see everyone's cheering as like I barely make it across the final line at the end. But but my point is, and I'm sharing these stories, that's what business is going to be like the next few years. Mm. Business is going to feel like that. You're going to see everyone else drop out of the race. Everyone's going to be like, I'm not going to do that. That's too hard. And that should be the sign for you. You got to do it. Yeah. And, it, and it's nice to know on the front end that you're number three already. Like that right. gives a little extra motivation. Uh, unfortunately, in a, a pool full of a lot of businesses you may not know it but it might actually be that easy oh uh, yeah and and i and i suspect especially now he said most of the time that's going to be what it is like how many people are going to after the back of this contact a business broker like i suggested maybe three of you and of the three of you that do it how many of you are actually going to turn up to the meeting probably one of you by the way that business broker is probably going to turn up late um and then if you give up or quit well then you won't get it but if you sit in the dark for three hours when that business broker turns up and he's like, sorry, I'm late. I was pulling together the whole list of businesses. And you could probably just say to the guy, which one should I buy? And you'd be like, I'd buy that one. And then, yeah. oh, done, done. There you go. There you have it, right? So there's so many really good opportunities. Um, I want to open it up for anyone in the room. Do we have questions? If anybody has questions, there's a microphone here. Please feel free to just stand up next to the microphone. Or if we have anybody online. And it's totally okay if you don't have questions, but I just want to give you guys that opportunity. Um, and we will continue on while you think about, oh, there we go. We have at least one question. Perfect. My question is about trailer parks because looking at the bio for Justin, I know that it's his specialty as well too. And for me, that's petrifying. I'm like, I don't really want to deal with low-income situations, but at the same time, economy is moving that way. So maybe there is a way, basically. So any tips, how to get into, should we, like should regular people who don't have experience doing that get into what have you basically, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And at one point I was a regular person that didn't know anything about mobile home parks that decided to take a chance on mobile home parks, uh, which was scary. I mean, I remember at the beginning, my very first park, I would go to bed and I would think like, all right, am I doing, am I making a poor decision here? Am I just throwing all this money away? And uh, I would wake up with night sweats. Like, what are you doing? You're a fool. Like, don't you know, slumlord death, right? And 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 so I remember thinking, okay, let's get rational about this. Like, my emotions are taking over. It's not good to make emotional decisions. If other people have done this and they've done well at it, and I have access to those people, which I did, then I can use their playbook. And maybe I'm only seventy percent as good as they are, but that's better than the situation I'm in right now. Therefore, I need to do what I talk about at the end of every podcast episode I do on the Lifestyle Investor, which is take one step towards financial freedom. Whatever that step is, could be small, could be big, but it's, it's taking a step towards that financial um, chapter to become financially independent. And so I'm glad that I did that. I knew nothing, truly knew nothing. I went to a boot camp to educate myself. And had enough confidence that I could pull it together. I could figure it out when I needed to. Like I could call people. I could, you know, that I could make it work. Mm -hmm. And that very first park that we bought replaced my wife's income as a teacher and she was immediately able to retire. And so then we had our daughter and it literally set us up for um, 
you know, time freedom for her. She had a component of that. I bought another park that covered our survival income. I bought another park that covered our lifestyle income. I sold that and flipped it into two more parks and that covered our earned income. And so in a very short period of time, what looked like a very unsexy asset class uh, yielded returns that were very sexy uh, while fixing up the properties, creating a better place for them to live, uh, you know, the, our tenants there and, and residents. So it was a win-win. We created financial freedom. We created a better place for those people to live than what the previous owner had done. Dude, I, I love that. Do you have like a playbook or something like this for people if they want to go and learn that? Yeah, I have a masterclass that I cover on this and I've got all kinds of, you know, documentation around it. I mean, I've got tons of, of free resources as well. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is how I got started. So I love it. Uh, I'm still doing it today. I still invest in mobile home parks today. I said I just closed on one last week awesome. uh, in, in St. Louis. And so uh, to me, it's one of the safest real estate asset classes. It, it may not go down as the sexiest. But it is definitely the safest, in my opinion, because when there is a recession, this thing is recession proof. Mobile home parks are literally recession proof. Like if you buy at the right price, if you know what you're getting into and you have some criteria around what you will and won't buy, like it, it's got to be a good, you know, property uh, with good bones, good infrastructure. But if you're doing that, um, it is hard for it to go wrong. It's the every year it is either the lowest or second lowest defaulted asset class out of all real estate. This is awesome. What, uh, where can people go to find out more about this from you if they want? Uh, so Lifestyle Investor has everything we do from you know free products, blog, podcast to you know book, master class, online courses. The the master classes are passive income master class and and uh, mobile home park master class, and then we have a mastermind that's. Uh, much more high ticket and much harder to get into, but uh, just an incredible community of about 140, 150 like-minded, highly successful individuals that want to up their game uh, through community and through education and tax strategy. I love this. So this is definitely something that you guys should check out. Um, moving towards the end, we always finish with one simple question, which is, what do smart businesses do in your words? I think smart businesses look to fill a void that exists, adding value in a way that exceeds what others are doing. I love that. Guys, there you go. Let's hear it for Justin Donald. And thank you once again for tuning in to Smart Businesses with us. Now, if you're new to the podcast and you want to learn more about how to build a smart business, then the absolute best place to start is with my Smart Blueprint ebook. Over 10,000 people have already gone through the book, and it's one of the most comprehensive resources on strategically building and growing your business that you can find anywhere for free. Just visit thesmartblueprint.com forward slash ebook to grab a free copy. And I'll see you on the next episode of Smart Businesses Do This.